Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. My name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us back on the podcast, Jonathan Trotter. Jonathan and his wife join us about uh, two, two and a half, three years ago um, for an episode on uh, marriage and life and mission. And uh, today he jump, comes back on, jumps back on the podcast with us to discuss um, his new book coming out, Digging in the Dirt, Musings on Missions, Motions, and Life in the Mud. It's a broad-ranging conversation, a fun one. Uh, I told him I wish that uh, we lived a little bit closer. I think we could sit down and uh, talk a lot. And um, we, we, we talked about a lot of different things. This is another one I think um, parents... If you have young ears listening in, probably you would want to listen to this before uh, maybe listening it in the car. We we it's a it's a great discussion, but we do talk about um, the idea that our our sex lives are more important to talk about in non satisfying non satisfying love lives, and uh, the importance of that and the importance of how do you have those conversations. Um, we talk about the idea of when parents label their kids world changers and how that can impact them. Um, we talk about the, the good side of anger and and the impact of anxiety and depression and missions. And um, yeah, just a great, um, he shares his story about um, with when he walks through depression. And um, we talked about the idea of having a work spouse and how life and missions can change when you all of a sudden you maybe living and working um, in different places and then uh, all of a sudden you're working together, doing ministry together, um, a lot of your life together, and maybe some of the tensions that can come with that and the joys. There's joys too, obviously. Um, at the same time, if uh, it can be a challenge and, uh, and joys and challenges. So just just thanks, Jonathan, uh, for being on the podcast with us. I will include in the show notes a link to his book, um, and you can access it there if you'd like. Uh, you can Google his name also and, and, and find it is just as easily on Amazon. But do appreciate him being on the podcast with us today. And um, yeah, do ask you to continue to send in your questions for Jack, Back Channel Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and get to learn from his wisdom, his insight, and his experience and do ask you to continue to subscribe to the podcast. I know the podcasts I subscribe to are the ones I listen to because they're there on Sunday morning or most of mine are are Sunday or Monday morning. They pop up on my phone and I know what I'm going to be listening to uh, throughout the week. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with a friend of the podcast, Jonathan Trotter. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it is good to be back, Aaron. Thank you. I always appreciate these conversations. It is uh, a joy. Before we hit record, I was just saying it's great to have a conversation with somebody that has a love of learning as much as I do. Um, uh, Jonathan, is uh, he's went to be a lawyer. He's he's a nurse. And uh, now he's doing some formal education. I'll let him share more about that. But we both love to learn and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Jonathan, for those who didn't listen to our first episode we did together, it's been a it's been a year, a few years back. Uh, we did wow. an episode together on marriage, specifically on the field. And um, it was honestly, it's one of the most downloaded episodes that I've done. And um, for, but for those who haven't listened to that one yet, um, will you share a little bit about yourself? And then uh, we're, I'm looking to, forward to jumping into this conversation about digging in dirt. Yeah, I, it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. This is the first podcast I've done on digging in the dirt, but uh, I guess as far as background goes, um, Prior to living overseas in Cambodia with my family, uh, which we did for about eight years, 2012 to 2020, uh, when the pandemic sort of shunted us back unexpectedly to uh, the Midwest part of the United States, um, I worked as a, a youth pastor, youth and worship pastor, um, while I was in in law school. Uh, did that and then went to nursing school and also worked bivocationally as youth and worship minister and uh, as an ER trauma nurse. Um, trying to figure it out, right? I, I just said I had all my midlife crises uh, before my midlife. <laughs> uh, it's been a good, it's been a good run. And then in Cambodia, again, one of these accidental things that was maybe not accidental. Um, my main job in Cambodia ended up being pastoral counseling, um, and that sort of heart-focused wow. coaching for missionaries, local Cambodian leaders, and pastors. And that's what I get to do now. So I'm I'm on the member team for our missions organization, um, but then I also meet with folks from from all over the place, providing pastoral care and sort of heart level um, coaching. Empathetic coaching is what I call it. Uh, all good coaching should be empathetic coaching, but I like to emphasize that. Sure. Um, and I'm in grad school now for 
professional mental health counseling. There you go. That's what I said. Love of learning. He's uh yeah. My, my wife told me once I got to forty five, I had to stop. So uh, my kids, oh, no. my daughter went to my daughter went to university went to evangel, and so anyway, I uh, I stopped for at least for now until we get them through. Maybe when we get them through university, I can go back. But I, I love okay. going to school. Right. I'm a learner. I, I love it. I think I'm a better father, husband all around human being when I'm, when yeah. I'm learning and, uh, and studying. So good there's so much to learn, man. Oh, really... there is, there is, there is. So, well, today we're going to talk about, um, digging in the dirt. Um, I don't know if you just want to take a little, uh, a minute or so to talk or about the book when it's coming out and, um, excited for this. It's a great resource. And then, um, I got some, I got a lot of questions for you. We'll jump in and see how many of them we can, can get through today, but, um, a great resource. And I, like I said, I love how you've, um, you've tackled some of the questions and had conversations around some of the things that we, I think sometimes try to avoid. So do you want to share a little bit about digging in the dirt and then I'll, I'll, I'll start peppering you with my questions. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Digging in the dirt is, um, is coming out in on December 1st and, um, it's it's kind of a follow up to Serving Well, a book that my wife and I wrote back in 2019, um, that was specifically aimed at missions, senders, and you know missionaries, and those trying to be missionaries or those recovering from being missionaries. The whole gamut was Serving Well, and then um, I wanted to write something and collect writings that were were broader than just the missions community as well, and that were from a space of having sat with a lot more clients and speaking about the hard things, think speaking about the mess. Um, and so digging in the dirt ha- is it's the subtitle is uh, musings on missions, emotions, and life in the mud. And one of the things, one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is this book contains so much of my heart and and some of the rawest writings that I have. Um, so there's some stuff on missions, but the, the bulk of the book is on um, emotions like anger and lament and loneliness and anxiety. Uh, and of course, all the hours that I've set with my own story, but, you know, thousands of other hours of stories with cross-cultural workers and other regular folks um, walking through the pain of life. And um, and then life in the mud. So, you know, when the thief steals or when the power goes out um, figuratively or or literally. Exactly. Uh, what, do, what do we do? How do we keep on living? And where do we find just a smidge of hope? Where do we find that um, sort of cracking through the crust uh, in our own lives and in the lives of people we love um, or people we're serving? So I'm super excited about this, and I yeah, I love the opportunity to talk about it for sure. For sure, you put up definitely. You've definitely put a lot of time and effort into it, and uh, looking forward to to learning more from you today. So one of the first things, the other thing, I, I, we talked about all your degrees, but evidently you're a pilot also, or you have experience in flying. So that adds yeah. to another tick on the uh, things that you are. You're multi talented, or we'd say in French, polyvalent. You have okay. many many skills, um, and so you talk about some of this things, kind of this idea of what flying has taught you about missions. And um, would you just mind just sharing a few of those? Um, I just thought it was very, very insightful. Sure. Well, and and probably a lot of our listeners have a lot of experience with aviation. And uh, that comes out in this chapter as well. But uh, aviation was one of my first loves. And missionary aviation was one of the things that the idea of missionary aviation is why I got my pilot's license when I was a teenager. That's where I was heading. And then a whole host of reasons sort of closed the door on missionary aviation. Um, So I have both of those components, just not at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> missions and aviation. But yeah, the, the chapter is a top 10 list, right? Um, which those are kind of fun to write. But the f- one of the main ones as I was reviewing it was this idea that pre-flight inspections are a good mm. idea. Mm. And they drill that into you in yeah. pilot school. You've got to check all the bolts are there. Is there oil in the engine? You know, um, do does the rudder still work? Does it have its full range of motion? All of those things you could probably get away with not doing most of the time. Yeah. And when it comes to missions, I think that that's true. There's there's you know some people sometimes 
you maybe would not have to do as much pre-field training mm. or orientation or things like that. But sort of the preponderance of the evidence shows that it's really good for building safety into the system. And, you know, some some folks are just in a hurry to get there. And all right, that mm. might work out for mm. some people. But it's kind of like, yeah, you could get in that plane and start it up because it just landed and you know, put yeah. some gas in it and go and you'd yeah. probably be maybe OK, but um, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, want to kick the tires a little bit. Sure. And, um, and the and consequences consequences could be, you know, they're catastrophic if you get up in That's the right. air with like that. And the same thing as you're saying within missions, you know, what I mean, absolutely. if th that safety part of it. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's one pre pre flight inspections are a good idea, yeah. um, even if they're even if they're not mandated. Um, another another part of this chapter is this idea that landing is one of the most dangerous parts of flying. And as I, I remember back, hmm. the thrill of sort of being on the one end of the runway and pushing in the throttle, you know, feeling the engine rev up and get going doesn't take that much skill, really. Once you're there, you just push that throttle and then the plane wants to fly itself and it takes off. And it that's not as dangerous as landing. Wow. There's just a lot more that can go sideways landing. And I think that that is also true in mm. missions. It's much easier to to leave for mm. the field than it is to arrive well wow. um, into the field. And on the, the side of, of returning to the States yeah. after time abroad, I would say that <laughs> without a doubt, and it's complicated by the political atmosphere of America and, and sure. the and the, the pandemic that was happening when we re-entered. So our story might you know, it is unique in that, but a lot of people experienced that as well. Yeah. But the the landing phase requires just as much, probably more intention and planning mm. than the departure. And, mm. you know, a lot of times I think we forget that. We wow. we care about sending people. We do a lot of planning on the front side. But then when when those people come back, we're like, hey, you're back. Great. You know how to live here. And that may not be true at all. Wow. 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 And so on that, uh, kind of throwing your curveball here, how long does it depend on the person, how long it takes them to do that landing? Is that different for everybody else? I'm thinking mm -hmm. a lot of leaders listening to this podcast, a lot of people that are involved in this. Do you have any just kind of guidance on, Hey, this is, this is kind of a time frame, or is it so variable that there's no way to give? But I think sometimes yeah. for people to know, Hey, it, you can this might be an expectation that's realistic or unrealistic if, hey, you, they should yeah. be landed ready to go in two weeks or, yeah, or right. two years or whatever. So right. would you mind right. sharing just a little bit about that? No, that, that is a great question. And I, I'm, um, I get to do some debriefing at local ministries uh, here in my town as well uh, for folks who are you know newly returned. And we talk about this question. And so I would say that, yeah, there's a ton of variables and how each individual person does it. Also, in why they're returning, you know, was it a medical emergency? That's was good. there a coup in their country? Were yeah. they trying to get back and then they were blocked at the border and said, you can never get back in? Mm. Uh, there's a whole lot of or was this a planned? Hey, yeah. we've been here for 15 years. This is time. There's a ton of variables there. But I would tell a church leader or anybody who's caring for cross-cultural workers, this is going to be measured in years, not months. Wow. And so what we tell folks, or what I tell folks anyway at these debriefings is you can expect to feel okay maybe after a year, year and a half, but you probably won't feel like you have really resettled for wow. two to three years. Wow. Especially if you've been overseas for five, six plus years, it's going to be more like a couple or three years. And uh, that's not abnormal. That doesn't mean you're broken. And that doesn't mean all three of those years are horrible and you're crying every day. Sure. Um, but you might not feel, oh, this is where I live now. This is home again for yeah. two to three years. Wow. And I guess that that probably goes then to for I shared a little bit about my daughter, my kids moving back to the U.S. Mm, I would yeah. say that very similar for TCKs. 
um, as they move back to the U.S. or their country, passport country, yeah. or country of origin, um, to ex- you know, for them to have some idea that it's going to take them a little bit of time to they adjust to yeah. the American culture and environment. So, absolutely, would that be a fair? Would that would that be fair to say uh, that also? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, TCKs have unique experiences as well, of course. Um, and they're not going to be equal to what uh, what the parents experience. Sure. Um, but giving a TCK the latitude to not feel uh, to not feel whatever within yeah. a certain time frame, I think, is a gift to the TCK. Yeah. To let them if they feel immediately like they are plugged back in and they've got that's great. I'm not going to yeah. tell them they need right. to be depressed sure. for the next two years. Right. Um, but, that makes sense. But, but makes they sense. might feel. I thought, you know, our, our mutual love of Brian Regan, uh, yes. you share about his. So anyway, on my trip back, I, I shared, I just got off the plane last night and, um, I was listening. I have, uh, on Spotify, a list and he's one of them, uh, yes. clean comedy. And, um, it's, you know, it, it has that one, the joke he talks about the part, you know, and, and there's only, only, only one tool and it's in Madagascar. And so for <laughs> us, you know, as a family, that's always, that's funny just because we lived in Madagascar. Yes. Um, um, and uh, anyway, and I, I experienced some of those delays yesterday. And, and like he says, they weren't handing out piles of money. So that's the other yeah. one, too. You know, it's never it's never they're up there counting your pile of money they're going to give you. So anyway, mm-hmm. if people have not listened in to him, it's a it's a funny specifically for people that travel. He does a phenomenal job of hitting on those realities of flying. Yes. And, uh, and those overhead it. those overhead. Bins. Exactly. <laughs> Great. I would I would second that. It's uh, good Brian stuff. Steven good stuff. There. Uh, hey, one of the other things when you talk, you're sharing about uh, missions, you talk about this idea that it can be harmful for Americans to, to have this idea that we hold the keys to the kingdom. Mm. And um, can you share some of the dangers in that and um, how that can be a real pitfall for people um, going overseas that they feel like they hold the keys to the kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I mean by that is that um, cultural humility matters. And I think we all we all know that we would all yeah. give sort of verbal assent that cultural you know humility matters. I I was coming from a place of working in an international church uh, in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and um, the chapter where I talk about you know the danger of assuming that we as Americans or Westerners have the keys to the kingdom is in a chapter where I'm talking about the Fijians who led worship at our international church and the the beauty that I was just shocked by gathering around the communion table with folks from 10 different countries and and just realizing over and over and over that my background was not the only background. Um, Of course, these things we say, we know these things intellectually, but the danger, I think, is when we do assume that what is happening or what has happened in the American church is what's happening in the global church or is what should happen in the global church. Um, Parts of it, absolutely. Just so you know, the the gospel is countercultural in every culture, just in different ways. And I think that there's parts of the American church that are beautiful and wonderful and and that we we should not export, but that they're they're good and strong and right. Um, And there may be parts of the American church that we have trouble seeing because we're Mm. in it Mm. that might not be as good as the the filipino variety and again i know there's so much variety in every country so i'm speaking very very broadly here sure but um there is a danger of us assuming that yeah what we are coming from is the only yeah and and i mentioned in the chapter the the hubris of thinking that we as america are sort of the new rome in the sense that that you know in times past, Rome was the center of global Christianity, and, and for some maybe still view Rome as the center of of global Christianity. And we would say, oh, that's so ridiculous. That's, you know, open your eyes. And I think, well, I, I think I, I think we sometimes say, like, oh, America now is the center. I don't know. Is it Nashville or Springfield yeah. or whatever <laughs> is the center of global human, uh, global Christianity? Yeah. Yeah. That's just dangerous. Yeah. For sure, um, I don't for think sure. that's Christ's heart for the church. Yeah. And I think you you hit it on there. It's 
I think intellectually, um, we know that, but when it comes mm-hmm. out in our actions and words, and when you're you're in a different place, a lot of those those things come to the surface, mm-hmm. and it's the, the things that we do we may know intellectually don't end up necessarily coming out just because of the stress. And it's not to blame it away or excuse it away, right. but it's uh, some of those inner things or inner thoughts we have they can they can yeah. come out come out to the surface. Yeah, and and for for me, just ex, you know rubbing shoulders with the the pastor from india or the you know couple from from china that were loving god and serving god was amazing um and was life-changing and very very humbling wow yeah it's the world we the world we live in and the things we get to do is it's uh it's uh it's it's i grew up in wally ford west virginia and I can mm. tell you, it was uh, many, many things. Um, multicultural was not one of them. Uh, okay, sure. and so it was uh, many, many things. I, I'm, I'm proud of being from from here. At the same time, it's it was it was the multiculturalness and and having those those internal conversations and with other people of uh, mm. differentiating on on my role and what's what's American and what's Christian and all that is is good. So, well, hey, well, we're going to take. No, I'm sorry, if, I, if I could just say one other yeah. thing too, the the goal of that chapter too is is not to point a finger at sort of the gross failings of the American church. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's as effective. Yeah. Um, but what I tried to do in that chapter is paint a picture for the beauty yeah. of the global church. Yeah. And um, uh, and sort of hinging on the the story of this one particular Fijian worship leader that just blessed our family so much we yeah. still talk about ema yeah. and um and i think that's something that i, I want to you know want our, our listeners to hear me say is that i'm not trying to just point a finger and say oh wow the american church sucks blah 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 right, right. but to say oh there there is so much beauty and grand grandness and grandeur of yeah. the global church i don't i don't want to miss that yeah um it's a good word because it's too good it's, it's too good. good word good good word good word yeah. Well, hey, I'm going to take a hard pivot because, uh, as your title says, "Digging in the Dirt," you uh, you go where some people don't want to go. But um, you know, Heather, and my wife, and I, when we began what we call Africa House Care, which is the member care arm for our org for Africa, um, one of the areas that we we marked was sexual health because I, you know, I did my MBA project on the reasons attrition and retention, and and one of those things came to was this idea that if if couples weren't healthy sexually, um, it was a reason people would leave the field. And um, at the same time, to getting people to talk about it is not necessarily, you know, it's we don't seem to want to talk about it, but you did. And so that's why I got some questions um, for you on this. And I appreciate um, you doing it, because, like I said, as I did my that research for my MBA, it, it came up. This is one of the wow. reasons people will leave the field. Um, but and if we don't want to address it um, or, you know, the other thing was is is people would stay on the field and be unhealthy. And that's not that's not good either. So they they might stay. But yeah. if they're unhealthy and, you know, I, I we say mm. unhealthy people play in unhealthy churches. And so that's mm. not and not necessarily a good thing either. So anyway, yeah. so the idea that is that you share that that sex is more important to talk about in non satisfying love lives. Um, can you just that was that was new to me. Um, mm. and would you, would you share, um, some thoughts on that and, and some reasons this would be important for us to know and how, and how it's, how it impacts our lives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love talking about it, but it seems like a lot of people don't. So, yeah. <laughs> and what, I, what I've realized, um, through sitting with a whole lot of couples is the area of married sexuality is just a minefield for a lot of people. And I want to be real sensitive to that here at, at the beginning of this discussion, because uh, most people have a pretty good reason that they don't like talking about this, even with their spouse. Wow. And um, the area of, of sexuality is is an area that a whole lot of emotional pain um, can can stem from. It is an area where any past trauma um, can bubble up uh, childhood sexual abuse. I mean, we know the statistics. A lot of people, a lot of adults, um, uh, will have will be bringing into their marriage a history uh, of traumatic sexual abuse, and that that matters a lot, and that makes things very. And I I wrote about that in Serving Well because I I had uh, my own story of 
um, uh, sexual abuse uh, in childhood. Um, so it, it is. It's scary, scary to talk about. And there's a lot happening in married sexuality. There's yeah. a lot of exposure. There's a lot of emotional risk and and what can feel like a lot of danger. And, you know, and I mentioned this in the chapter, too. If there's been a history of porn, if there's been a history of one or the other spouse feeling used um, or abused in that relationship, in the marriage relationship, you know, that is going to really be an important factor that has to be discussed and not just overlooked. And so I'm always cautious because I don't just want like a husband, for example, to be like, oh, well, yeah, see, we should talk about it. So wife, <laughs> here's what I want to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there may be a very, very good reason that that spouse is hesitant yeah. um, to talk about sex. So with that kind of disclaimer, um, I would say that the reason, one of the reasons I'm talking about this in this chapter is because the data is pretty clear that couples who cannot talk about their sex life have a very low chance of actually having a mutually satisfying sex life. Interesting. I think the data is something like 9%, only 9% of couples who cannot comfortably talk about sex say that they're sexually satisfied. Interesting. Um, so that's why that, that's why talking about it matters, because you're just not going to have a great sex life if you can't talk about it. Um, uh, so it's, it's it's worth, in my opinion, that makes it worth it to well, talk about it. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. um, and you know, what I appreciated was, is you didn't say, hey, this is that. But then you give us, you give some ideas and you give some ideas about how we can, how we can talk about it, um, how we can begin talking about our sex lives. You did a great, phenomenal job there explaining the realities of people's past. At the same time, you didn't say just, hey, it's good to talk about it, but you'll have to figure that out on your own. You kind of give right. us some some constructs, which I really value. I read a ton mm -hmm. for this podcast. And, you know, I read a lot of books and they'll say, hey, you should do this. But if I knew how to do it, I would probably be doing it. Um, uh, right. You know, I mean, sure. if I knew how to have the conversations, I would. And yeah. you give us some ideas. W would you share? May, you don't have to share them all, but a few of these just so that people could get an idea that. Mr. Trotter's not just get, saying, hey, talk about this, but in the book, you give some yeah. some some constructs for us. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, again, the first one is a bit of a disclaimer. Yes, talk about it. Do not talk about it right after having it. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless it's just, that was amazing. <laughs> and I love yeah. that. Or yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> excuse, excuse me. Um because so much damage can be done if after a sexual experience, we go into sort of like performance evaluation. Wow. Um, that is a horrible idea um, that mm. should just never be done. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that being said, um, an another just very simple but very, very practical thing I would encourage people to do is download an app called the Gottman Card Deck. John Gottman is, and his wife, Dr. Julie Gottman, are some of the leading researchers on marriage in the world at this point. And um, they have a ton of data to back up what they're saying. And their company created a free uh, app that's been around for years. But I mean, it was a card deck, literally a card deck before. Now it's an app. And um, it has a couple of sections that I think are labeled like mild, spicy, whatever. And they're just designed to get couples talking about preferences or fears or desires within the area of sexuality. Wow. And so what I find with couples is even if they want to talk about it, there can be residual shame from whatever. And we just don't know where to start. We just don't know what questions to ask. And so having a neutral Having a neutral sort of list of questions can be super yeah. helpful. The other thing that's great about that app is that one person can go through it and sort of um, like or, you know, love certain questions. So sort of like pre-approve, hey, I would I would be okay with these questions around yeah. sex. And then yeah. this other spouse could look through it and, and just use sort of a pre-approved list to... It's a, we're trying to sort of insert some some safety into the conversation. Um, and so that app, I'm not sure if I've even mentioned that app in the chapter, but it, I should have if I didn't. It is a it's a wonderful tool that's free. Yeah. 
you can access it at any time. And it's great for other discussions as well, but there are some portions of the app that are designed for these types of um, sexuality conversations. And so you mentioned timing, um, you know, when this is not, not a good, so is there any other thoughts on timing on when to have, because sometimes I think maybe people say, well, there's never a good time. Um, There's never a good time to have these conversations, but at the same time, there has to be some intentionality or, or you, you probably will not have the conversation at all. So any more thoughts on timing? Um, When you said this is not a good time, is the, are there other times you think, Hey, this, this would be a good time to to have these conversations? Yeah. I mean, so talking about sex while you're having it is a good thing about saying, hey, this is what I want or this is right. what I don't want. That's actually really, really important. But these types of discussions, um, yeah. uh, you know, where I'm sitting down with a sp- my spouse and talking about our sex life. Right. I-, I think any time that is not adjacent to lovemaking yeah. <laughs> would be fine. Okay. And so that could be whatever that that right. could be hey the kids went off to school sure. let's have a conversation around this yeah but we're not this isn't foreplay we're not right. having this conversation and then we're going to try to have sex the to to distinguish those times or to sure. differentiate so hey um this afternoon how about you know we're going to go out on a date can we talk about this for part of the date hmm. um but it's yeah any time would work if if both people feel safe yeah. and well rested. <laughs> Again, yeah. that's super important. Any sure. conversation like this, you don't want to have when someone's really tired. Yeah. Um, so if if you feel like you have enough privacy, if you feel like you have enough safety, yeah. uh, any time would work. I would just discourage people from having those conversations um, before or after yeah. uh, having sex. Yeah. So you've, I've heard you say the word safety a few times. Um, mm. What would that be? Uh, generalities again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not asking for a clinical or a one from a lawyer to say, this is the defining. So I'm not, we're not gonna hold you, but in general, when you're thinking and some broad constructs, when you're thinking of the ability to have a safe conversation, what would that, mm. what would that look like? How would that feel? Um, yeah, because I've just heard you say that a few times, and so I think it's important to talk about what that means to have a, a for people to f- feel safe and having a, a, a conversation around sex, sexuality. Yeah, no, that's a really good uh, sort of uh, good point to to call that out and define the term. Um, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, a lot of conversations around sex don't happen because one or both people feel unsafe, and okay. so I think to 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 kind of put it in a, I don't know, in simple terms, a person will not feel safe if they feel like their spouse is trying to cajole them or okay. manipulate them into something. So okay. uh, if let's just, I've seen this more often. If a wife feels like the husband wants to talk about sex because he wants me to try something that I don't really want to do. Okay. That is not going to be a safe conversation for the wife because she's going to feel controlled or pushed Hmm. or pressured. And so safety is the absence of pressure. Wow, that's good. Um, And I would say that safety involves me believing deep down in my gut that this spouse I'm talking to is on the same team. Hmm. We're on the Hmm. same side. We're both aiming for mutually satisfying sexual experiences. Yeah. And if that mutuality isn't there, then safety, I don't think will be there. No, it's good word. Good word. I appreciate it. That's uh, that jumped out. And like I said, that was not Mm. on my list of questions I had for you. But um, I just thought I might get some emails or uh, it was I wanted to I wanted to ask you. Sure. Sure. And humor. Humor is so important in this. I mean, we kind of laugh and chuckle, too. And and that's fun. And anytime I talk about sex with couples, you know, in a counseling room. It, it, yes, there is a lot of, of fear and, and pain around this. There's also a sort of awkward funniness, too. And that that's yeah. OK. Yeah. You know, I, I was originally bouncing around uh, the idea of calling this chapter the missionary position. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, that joke just writes itself and it's too easy. So we went right. with something else. But yeah, um, yeah. but it's OK to, to laugh and, and have humor around this yeah. as long as both people feel safe with yeah. that. No, it's good. It's um, good. And it's good. It's good to clarify that. And so I appreciate yeah. that, um, that, that, how you, 
you put those uh, riverbanks in there for us. So I'm going to take another another hard sure. right, um, another hard right um, from uh, sexuality. One of the things that jumped off to me was this idea of the pressure we can put on our children when it comes to uh, calling them world changers um, and the impact can, that it can have on them. I honestly, this is one of the first you, you address several things in the book. I, I do a lot of reading, um, but what I appreciated, you addressed some things that I had not seen addressed other places, well, maybe a conversation wise, but never had seen somebody say, Hey, I'm going to tackle this in writing. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, labeling kids, world changers and the impact that can have on them. Sure. Sure. Well, and I appreciate you acknowledging that like these are kind of hard right pivots, uh, but that's kind of how digging in the dirt is written. And I would, I would tell our, our listeners here, that's kind of how it's okay to read. And so I, I encourage people in the preface to look through the table of contents and bounce around if you want. Um, it is not a narrative. It really is kind yeah. of a topical uh, a topical thing. And so um, I'm glad it feels that way kind of on purpose because that's what the book is, uh, addressing some of these things. And this chapter in particular is written out of sitting with enough people and watching enough people sort of deal with the repercussions of these types of things of, wow. of the world changer motif um, that can just be so damaging. It's, and, and I, you know, I, I, most of these chapters are written out of sort of blood, sweat and tears, not always mine, yeah. but, but clients yeah. uh, over the years. And so I, I want people to know that I, this, I'm not just saying, Oh yeah, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. I'm saying this hurts people a lot. Yeah. And I, I sit with the tears um, and so maybe we, we could avoid those a little bit in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. don't call your kids world changers. Um, and, you know, a caveat here, or maybe an explanation. Many of our readers or listeners now have seen the Amazon special called Shiny Happy People. Yeah. Um, dealing with, you know, a unique brand of sort of conservative fundamentalism. I actually grew up in that world. And so part of this wow. chapter comes out of those experiences my family was involved in the same homeschooling group. Um, many people would call it a cult at this point um, that that the Duggars were in. And Bill Gothard is talked about in in um, in Shiny Happy People. And when I say in this chapter that I grew up uh, where you know wearing a navy and white uniform, where the whole goal was to quote give the world a brand new approach to life. That was the motto. That was what I was steeped in as a young teenager. And wow. um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And then yeah. and then watching it play out. And so I a lot of my friends were in families where that was the deal. And I just saw people grow up and then live very normal lives and get very normal jobs as ministry people or lawyers or whatever. And deal with a tremendous amount of depression and anxiety because this sort of normal life wasn't good. That's what they felt. They were raised to be world changers. And now they had steady marriage. They were raising children. They were serving their local church and they felt like total and absolute failures. Wow. Because in their minds, they weren't saving the whole entire world. (laughs) It's like, what yeah. is wrong with this yeah. idea? It's so damaging. So that's kind of where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see that you see um threads of that also in the in the missions world? Um because you know, I think sometimes and yeah, I, I think sometimes, you know, Heather and I, we've balanced that with our kids. Um, you know, we went to the field as a family at the mm-hmm. same time, not putting the pressure on our kids to say you're 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 a missionary and you have to save or you know proselytize at school we wanted our kids to be able to be kids you know i mean and i wanted them to be followers of christ as kids but i didn't want them to carry the pressure into you know french school when they were there you know six six eight years old that hey you you're a missionary so you have to be preaching while you're at school we wanted them to be kids so does that make any sense um that is so healthy i think (laughs) It's um, but there can, there can be that weight, and at least where how our mission works is we you itinerate and you you know mm-hmm. they call the family up, and there's mm-hmm. there's it's it's you do go as a family, but just recognizing the roles in the family and um 
and, and respecting, you know, respecting. Some kids might feel that, um, you know, that they feel that God's called them to do that. Others not, but just, just mm-hmm. walk through it. So um, I, I grew up in a very healthy home. Um, you know, my, my parents, I never felt that pressure. They wanted me to follow Christ and they wanted, they modeled that, but there mm-hmm. wasn't that pressure that I had to, um, to just save everyone or to save the yeah. world. It's, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge load. Um, especially for kids and yeah. even for, even for an old guy like me, it's a huge mm-hmm. load. So it is, it really is. And, and yes, of course we want our children to love Jesus. We want them to follow Jesus and we want them to respond to the call of God on their life. Yeah. Not the call of God on our life. Yeah. And there's a distinction. That's why I think it is dangerous to refer to children of missionaries as missionaries. Yeah. Um, no, they haven't had the training, the background, the the, the calling that has been reinforced through uh, your leaders and your mission and all of that. Yes, God has called them to live wherever, yeah. you know, the parents have been called to live as missionaries. But they're, so scripturally, I think it's hard to make the case that that child should be viewed as a missionary, as a Christian, if they're following Christ. Absolutely. And they should do the things that believers do. Yeah. Um as they grow in their faith, but they are also children. Yeah. And, um, so much research is coming out, uh, even on the secular side that says like, actually letting children play is a really, really good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Letting them be children is a really good thing. Yeah. You know, and even going back to the 1800s with some educational theories, Charlotte Mason and stuff, some of our listeners, homeschoolers might be familiar with that with that idea that says let the children be children is that sounds so simple but that would be my heart's cry is that okay you have been called to serve god in the capacity that you have been called let your children respond to the call of god in their life and it might be very different yeah you know my father was a dentist and i believe that he felt he's passed away now but I believe that he felt he was called to be a small town dentist. And I watched the way he loved people. I watched the way he gave discounted services to people who needed it, how he responded on the weekends when someone had an emergency. Uh, He was a well-respected, God-honoring man who loved people very well. But he never pressured me to be a dentist, (laughs) which is great because that would not have been a good fit. (laughs) And I think... I want to be the same in what God has called me to. I love this. I'm so grateful that God has called me to do the work that I am doing. Yeah. And maybe I have one kid that I think might actually sort of be called in that same way, but um, I'm not going to pressure them. And I'm not going to make my other kid who's probably more of an engineer type um, be a therapist. Like, well, what good is that? Yeah. So and why do we do that with missions? I, I don't know. But the other thing you mentioned in there is, is if they're following Christ. And there is that idea that, you know, I had the, and I think is is a is a young person, you had the ability to work out your faith um, yeah. in middle school and in high school without mm. this added pressure and working mm. out my own faith. And I think there's sometimes, I think we would like to say in our missions world that, hey, all kids, and I think we know, we know, Logically, this is not true, but sometimes our actions don't say that. That our kids maybe they maybe they're right now they're wrestling with things and they're not their their walk with Christ is not super strong. But then there's that extra pressure that they got to put on this persona that they are, and yeah. um, and and putting on that persona then then might not be always be the best either. And, and right, this- right, we don't give them room room to grow. And and so what happens is if if I am expected to put on that persona, yeah. then I just hide. Yeah. And and then I just put on a show. And we know that that is not going to be a, a a working strategy long term no. um for for the child. Yeah. Short term, it might get them through it. Long term, it's well, and and short term, it might make the parents look really good. Yeah. And that that's dangerous, because if we're parenting in such a way as to make our parenting look good, our our children might play the game for a while uh, until they don't have to play the game anymore. And then and then uh, everything breaks loose. And that, yeah. that's not what we want. We want our kids to be able to, to be honest um, with us, even if we're not really liking 
I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe other folks don't feel that way. I, I would prefer my child, my, we have four teenagers right now. Yeah. I would prefer them to be honest with me, yeah. even if I don't necessarily like what they're saying. Sure. Um, you know, then, then, uh, they look perfect to the world and, um, are just putting on a show that, that yeah. doesn't seem healthy to me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Hey, I've taken this down a lot of roads. I'm going to ask you two more questions. So, um, two more questions. You talk about um, your journey with depression. Um, mm. Would you be willing to share about that? And then I got one question for you about work, a work spouse, which I thought was fascinating. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. But um, could you just, because I think that spoke to me. I think it will speak uh, your your willingness to share, I think will be a great encouragement for, for a mm-hmm. lot of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, depression, again, is one of those things. It's scary to talk about if I'm afraid I'm going to be, you know, kicked off the field or something. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense, you know, and so I'm never going to push somebody to try to explore this with their bosses or anything. But again, I want to see what is actually there. Um, that's why the, the back of, of digging in the dirt says, welcome to the places where we actually live. <laughs> um, you know, where we strip away the show or, or the, or the shine, uh, because sometimes it's not all, um, shiny. And so, you know, I had a sister who died when I was a child. Um, my mother got cancer when I was a teenager and passed away when I was 17. My father um, got cancer and died when I was in my early 20s. Um, and and I um, dealt with, you know, sexual abuse uh, from a neighbor when I was a child. And so those things combined, I think, even in my young 20s, I regularly had thoughts of dying or death. If wow. death was always around the corner. I had never wanted to die, but I had uh, a very, <laughs> it was normal for me to be aware that life is short. I've always felt like I was probably going to die young. And th- that's a pretty common thing for people who lose family um, young or people who are exposed to trauma or, or death um, at a young age. Uh, there's nothing sort of sick about that or dysfunctional right. about that. But when we moved to Cambodia, then there, I, I talk about this in the chapter, there was a season where I was not getting good sleep at all because of, you know, living in an urban environment, open air sort of urban environment, um, had gone too long without good sleep and was just in a unique pressure cooker with with team and uh, ministry and family Um I think my wife was dealing with some physical health issues at the time. So, you know, perfect storm. And I I started taking some medication that I thought was I thought was safe. It was a non-narcotic um pain medicine, but I was taking it to help me sleep and it did sort of help me sleep. And then I re- I found myself very depressed. Um I think how do I describe it? like like liquid cement pouring into your body. <laughs> I think that's how I describe it. Heavy and thick slowly solidifying and man that that was horrible absolutely Mm -hmm. horrible and and then i got i got scared because i did start having thoughts of ending my life Mm. and i I had not had that before and i was like whoa this is not not i i don't want to go there at all yeah um and so that that was a bit of the journey and and of depression not all depression leads to sort of a suicidal thoughts Um, but that version of it did for me. And I reached out, I reached out to a pastor colleague. I reached out to a teammate and Mm. I reached out to a therapist colleague. Mm. And I think I was very fortunate to have older men in all of those spheres that I could say, I need to have a coffee with you once a week for the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, and I did. And, and that was extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, and so the the suicidality went away, um, which is fantastic. Depression is still something that I would be I, I trend towards. So okay. if I'm not doing well emotionally, if I've had just a lot of hard clients or if I haven't slept well, you know, that is the that's going to be my slide. Okay. Um, and so I have to stay aware of that. I don't feel like that's a character flaw. I don't feel shame on that yeah. about that. I just know that that is me. Yeah. I, and, and that, that emotional sensitivity helps me sit with clients Yeah. and hopefully that helps bring some healing to people. But I also need to be a little tuned in 
Yeah. Wh- wh- how how am I doing with yeah. uh, with my depression or depressive, you know, symptoms? Sure. The the intentionality and the courage to say, hey, I need to I need to talk to some people and have some conversations. Um, would you be willing to? How did you find that uh, courage in 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 that season? Um, and um, once again. Uh, another question kind of to tail that with um, listeners listening in. Um, some might be counselors, some might not be not. How can they respond in a safe way if mm. Jonathan or, or Aaron or somebody comes to them and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. What's a way that they that that somebody can feel safe to sit down and have a conversation rather than yeah. being pushed away? Is, is that a fair? Yeah. Are, are those fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And then again, we're going to come safety because that's going to be a starting block here. If if a person comes to one of our listeners and says, "Hey, I'm having thoughts of ending my life," um, or and I kind of I know how I would do it. I'm developing a plan, or even just I'm having thoughts of ending my life. If if our listeners are are not therapists, they 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 can still help a ton, but they also need to try to link that person up with professional counsel. Yeah, that's good. And so I would just say that from from the get go, that's yeah. a bit above the pay grade. Sure. Um, is you want to help that person. And you, I mean, you can't make a person, but yeah. you want to help that person get professional clinical help if they're suicidal, yeah. if they're having thoughts of, of hurting themselves or killing themselves. And so it is very appropriate and very good to specifically ask a person who looks depressed or is, says they're depressed is to say, are you having thoughts of hmm. of killing yourself? Hmm. That's not going to make them more likely to kill themselves. The research is in on that. That's not going to make them more likely to kill themselves. That is going to be a protective thing. Yeah. And if they say yes, make sure you you help them find access to professional help. Yeah. So again, with right. that being a non-clinical person can still be immensely helpful hmm. by, by allowing the space for yeah. the person who's depressed to, to, to talk, to tell their story. Yeah. What's going on? What do you what do you need? Yeah. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go out for coffee regularly? I care about you. I hear about you. Um, don't do anything stupid. I would be horribly sad if you hurt yourself or killed you. Like yeah. those types of presence, offering your presence is is huge. And um yeah, so this, those are kind of some beginning ideas. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question of how, you know, where did I find the courage to do that? <laughs> That's just desperation. Mm. Um, and for, for better or worse, our listeners can be the judge of this. Um, my wife and I have sort of just said where we were at for a long time. Yeah. You know, we reveal a lot of our story in serving well, uh, the highs and the lows. Yeah. And we, we have written in online spaces. We haven't told all the stories because not all stories deserve a public reading, But we have revealed a lot of our stories and yeah. our struggles. And so this just felt like another one. It, it didn't feel weird yeah. to to do. But like I said, I didn't write this chapter in the middle of that. Hmm. Hmm. I talked with three guys yeah. who were mentors for me yeah. in those seasons. Uh, pastor, friend, therapist. Yeah. Because I needed them. And I, I, the the the... Whatever the fear of of telling somebody that seems less than the damage to my family or myself yeah. of not dealing with yeah. depression. No, there's so much shame around depression for a lot of Christians as if it is a spiritual flaw or a character, you know, issue. And and no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. it is worthy of getting help. Yeah. Good deal. And I appreciate your willingness to be authentic and share. And, um, and um, we, uh, yeah, I appreciate it very much. Last question. We'll take two or three minutes on this, but I appreciate it a lot. Um, a work spouse. So uh, I mm. said, I read a lot. Um, I, and read a lot for this podcast and I've never heard somebody address it. Um, you know, but it, it's true. I think life and mission, um, you live overseas this is a great conversation. Probably we could do a whole podcast on this one subject or maybe reality of it. Um, but just a few minutes about a work spouse and the importance of of, of understanding that. And um, yeah. 
I'm curious before I launch in, what about that chapter jumped out for you? Honestly, just the idea. Here's the thing. I think it jumped out for me because it was my personal story. So we went from yeah. I went from being a nurse in Lakeland, Florida. Heather was a teacher. Yeah. You know, we signed up to be mis- missionaries. The next thing, oh, we're together and we're together all the time. And we had not worked together. You know what I mean? And we we love yes. each other. And it's not. Yes. But all of a sudden, you went from being having for better terms of the word, pretty much separate lives for 50 hours out of the week. Um, workspace, you had friends outside of work, you had all those things outside of work. And then the next thing you're together, you're together at home and eating and work and all the, and so I think that's why it jumped off to me because I th- yeah. I'd never thought about work spouse, even the concept of it. And I think that's why I jumped off the page okay. to me. I'm like, well, this re- it resonates with me. So that's a lot of the podcasters, a lot of the the conversations I have are things that resonate with me. So that sure, resonated. Sure. So I don't know if that makes sense, but just the idea that hey, I'm not the only person that thought mm, this is this is kind of an yeah. interesting uh, a dynamic yeah. here, and we've adapted to it. 22 years later, it you know it's sure. part of our life. But those first those are a significant amount of years that her and I were just trying to navigate. What does this mean? Yeah. We had separate lives, separate friends. Yeah. Does that, does that help put yes. some context? Yes, it does. It, it does. Um, and <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that uh, with our listeners. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of fun for me because this is kind of a tongue in cheek chapter, just kind of um, what, uh, you know, it's just something that Elizabeth and I have talked about, but underneath some of the humor of it, like, Oh, I have a work spouse, but it's okay because she's my actual spouse. Yeah. Is, is the reality that like you're saying, this looks great on paper. Hey, we'll get to it. We'll get to live <laughs> together and work together and go to church together and everything will be together. But that can be an enormous adjustment. And I think just sort of tapping the brakes for a couple to say like, hey, how is that going for you? You're not weird if that is a unique challenge that you hadn't expected. And that is worth having some conversation around because you know, we don't anticipate it. Most of us don't have training to become an entrepreneur yeah. with our spouse. And I mean, we're, but the reality of it is a lot of us, it's the, it's the equivalent of starting a new business yeah. overseas yeah. with your spouse, with your, your partners, your coworkers, yeah. and your co-entrepreneurs. And we're, we're often just, I mean, I know you've got some background in business stuff, but most of us are not trained sure. in that type of of dynamic and it yeah. can it can surprise us oh for sure um because the disagreements you have with a coworker yeah. <laughs> are now happening around your dinner table <laughs> and there there is no let up and the, the boundaries get really really blurred yeah and so one way that can go sideways for a couple is uh hey we 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 never just talk about us anymore yeah. When we go out on a walk or when we yeah. go out on a date, we're talking about work yeah, all yeah. the time. And that can be a trap that folks fall into, even if they love each other, even if everything is going great with the work. Sure. It can begin to overshadow the relationship because yeah. it's just the thing. And it's sometimes easier to talk about than sex. So, <laughs> there you go. Sometimes it's harder, but, there you but go. sometimes it's it's easier. So that that's one of the reasons that that I I talk about it. And, and the chapter talks about you know some of our early forays into yeah. being work spouses and how there were challenges yeah. that were really difficult to walk through. Um, the fruit on the other side has been really fun. You know, even she 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 is an editor now. Um, you know, she edits a life overseas website. That's sort of her main ministry job, but she also does editing for other people's books and articles and things. Right. And so she is my editor for digging yeah. in the dirt. Yeah. And so we had a, a ton of great work meetings where we would go to a coffee shop yeah. and, uh, and work together on yeah. digging in the dirt. And she made the book way better. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're still work spouses. And I think at this point, after, you know, a whole bunch of years, um, it's not as scary. Yeah. 
Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's definitely an adjustment. So, hey, Jonathan, it's been awesome to hang out with you. Um, probably you're somebody. I think if I live close to you, I'd want to be. I'd want to. I'd want to have coffee with you at least once a yeah. week. And um, and uh, and I could continue this conversation on for a lot longer. But we, I won't do that to you. But will you pray yeah. for us? Will you pray for us? And uh, we'll put uh, in the show notes um, links to the book for people to access hey. it and get it. And uh, would you just pray that God will use the conversation we had um, to encourage people? Absolutely. Uh, God, thank you so much that um, you're a God who who stoops down um, to the dirt, that you are a creator, uh, the king, who also knows what it is to be made of dust. And uh, you don't hold that against us. You actually rescue us in it. Um, you became one of us. This is crazy. And this is such good news. And so um, I thank you for the hope that... Uh, we know that we have because of you and you have called us all over the world. And sometimes you call us back again um, and you're the God there and you're the God here and all the places in between. And God, we just rest on the truth that you care so much more about us and our families and our work and our ministry than we could ever even imagine. And your plans for us are good. Your hopes and dreams for us are good and uh, they are bright and I just thank you for that. And thank you for this time. Just pray your richest blessings on um, our families and, and um, our listeners, wherever they may be. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.